This is Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your official home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. What's up, everybody? It's the final show of the week here on Hockey Central and Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Hopefully, we're going to have a normal hour. Trying not to jinx anything, but I heard Logan bringing it up. So I can't ignore it. If you were listening to Sportsnet today with Logan Gordon before coming into the show, yeah, there were some technical difficulties yesterday. It was fine. We uh, we fought through it. We powered through. Had a chat with Derek Wills after. Brought in Kristen Shilton. But yeah, definitely sounded like there was a ghost speaking to me through the radio. I don't have another explanation. Uh, Taylor, our wonderful producer, she doesn't have another explanation. Something weird going on yesterday, but we're going to just keep trucking past it. It's the end of the week. Only a couple games on the NHL schedule tonight. The Ottawa Senators and Pittsburgh Penguins are going to face off in Pittsburgh this evening. P.O. and Matthew Joseph, two brothers, are set to face off for the first time against one another. Bit of drama there after the first expected brother duel on Wednesday between Ottawa and Pittsburgh. Matthew Joseph, who plays for the Ottawa Senators, was a healthy scratch despite the fact that the family had 50 tickets, 50 seats put aside, purchased, reserved for the brother matchup. And uh, DJ Smith took that one on the teeth for a while. People were you know, talking about how he's pulling a Babcock and this isn't good. Why would you do such a thing? Uh, and DJ, I think to his credit, didn't really say anything that would make the player look bad. He didn't really give any details at all into what happened. He just said, you know, it's been discussed. And yes, we have a note in the text line, uh, cabbage rolls. Yes, that's what the ghost was saying to me yesterday. Something about cabbage rolls. Family recipe from years and years ago. Uh, but back to Matthew and B.O. Joseph here, uh, you know, the, the social media like circus, I guess, it kind of just started to snowball online. DJ Smith did this. We don't know why he's been playing fine. And then Matthew Joseph ends up coming out and says it was an internal incident, which is why the decision was made that he did not play in the game. There were no more details, but... Matthew Joseph, P.O. Joseph, both in the lineup expected to play against each other in Pittsburgh tonight. So we can move on from that one. The only other game on the schedule this evening is the Colorado Avalanche and the Vancouver Canucks. Now we had a pretty big chat with Jason Bruff earlier this week on the show. If you missed it, you want more details, you can check that out on demand, Apple, Google, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts had a chat about the Vancouver Canucks and the situation there. And it's just been a constant talking point. And I just want to say there's been a ton of speculation that Rick Tockett is going to be the next coach, of the Vancouver Canucks as soon as Monday. I think that's the date that people are discussing, which means that there's this little pocket this weekend, a back-to-back for the Vancouver Canucks over the weekend, where it looks like it could be the final two games behind the bench for Bruce Boudreau. Now, uh, Rick Tockett is currently an analyst with TNT, and on Wednesday he said, listen, I haven't signed any contracts. I've known Jim Rutherford and Patrick Alvin for a number of years. I've talked to them, but I've talked to them for years about everything. So he's, you know, kind of saying, yeah, I haven't signed anything yet, but it kind of seems like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And we have a clip 
from practice this morning or morning skate, I should say from Bruce Boudreau. He was asked to reflect on whether he's going to savor what might be his final two games behind the bench in Vancouver. Uh, here's the clip now. How do you personally approach this back to back and will you take some time to savor it? I don't know yet. I really, you know, I mean, I'd be a fool not to say that I don't know what's going on, but uh, um, I just, like I said before, you come to work and uh, uh, you realize, you know, how great the game is. Yeah. It's, it's... So you get a little emotional just now. What does it mean to you to be head coach in this game? I'll talk later. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks, Bruce. Okay, so first the laughs at the end are just very uncomfortable. This is a clearly emotional Bruce Boudreau. I honestly didn't pick up on the people laughing. You know, I think everyone kind of thought that was – I think people were shocked because we're so used to the happy-go-lucky – Bruce, there it is. He's so funny. He's silly. He's a genuinely nice man. I really have not heard a bad thing about Bruce Boudreau. And I think there was a bit of shock uh, of the emotion that's coming there. And obviously, we're all hearing the speculation. We're talking about it on the radio all the time. You know, Jim Rutherford's going out and he's doing interviews and talking about the situation. He talked the other day about how they've been interviewing other coaching candidates. They've been talking to other people. Uh, but Bruce is our coach right now. I feel terrible for Bruce Boudreau, and I just think it's important for me to say <laughs> I this situation's been handled very poorly by the Vancouver Canucks. To hang your coach out to drive like that for so long, it's really uncomfortable to watch. I feel terrible watching it. It's just not something that should be happening. It, it's just not being handled properly. Like this is you can just see it in the emotion or you can hear it in the emotion. Excuse me. I know this is a radio show. We're not looking at Bruce Boudreau, but I don't think you need to see his facial expression to get the emotion that's coming through in this situation. And it's just been a difficult saga to watch throughout the season. And I don't like the coach's hot seat conversations. I don't love having conversations talking about, you know, people, human beings losing their jobs. But, you know, you also just hope that this saga is going to end soon. Um, and the other part of this is you've kind of got to wonder if this is it for Bruce Boudreaux's coaching career, at least as a head coach in the NHL. I mean, he's 68 years old. Things in Vancouver aren't going well. The last time he's made the playoffs was 27-18 with the Minnesota Wild. Don't get me wrong. I don't think Bruce Boudreaux is a bad coach. Before that, he made the playoffs 10 out of a possible 11 years. Just think you take everything that's happening in right now and wonder what the next opportunity would even look like for him and if he's even going to want one. So something that uh, we'll track over the weekend and surely talk about again on Tuesday if some of these timelines that we're hearing out there are correct. Now, the Calgary Flames not playing tonight again, only two games on the schedule this evening, but they are playing in an afternoon game against the Tampa Bay Lightning on Saturday night. So now we're going to go to the Atlas Pizza guest hotline and welcome our first guest of the show. It's Dave Randorf. He is the play-by-play -play commentator for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Uh, Dave, Tampa suffered their first loss of the road trip last night to the Edmonton Oilers. What stood out to you from last night and what are you expecting heading into Saturday? And also, thanks for joining the show. I hope you're doing well. <laughs> uh, okay, yes. Uh, thanks for having me on and I am doing well. Thank you. Um, well, what stood out last night? Uh, you know, the Edmonton Oilers uh, came prepared. 
they've actually beaten the Lightning twice now this season, and that's a short list of uh, teams that have beaten Tampa Bay twice. Uh, but uh, they beat them in Amelie Arena back in November, and they also did it last night. They uh, they impressed me, uh, Edmonton did, in their third period. They they built a 2 nothing lead after one. The Lightning came back, and it was a very it was a really good game. There was a lot of edge to it, a lot of intensity. There was a couple fights, uh, some good saves on both ends by Vasilevsky and Jack Campbell. Second period was excellent. It was 3-3 going into the third, and, and Edmonton um, didn't kind of get – caught and worrying about the fact that the Lightning had come back on them in their barn. Uh, they got to work early in the third period, and then, of course, uh, Con McDavid got the winner. And uh, But it was still close right down to the end. It was a good game. Uh, I think the Lightning, uh, fourth game of a five-game road trip, it was a back-to-back. They had played in Vancouver the night before. There was a lot of uh, excitement around the team, a lot of emotions, because Steven Stankos had scored his 500 that night. So, they got to reset and get ready to face a very good Edmonton team at Edmonton. And, and for the most part, I think they, they played well. The, uh, the Lightning have been an average team on the road so far this season, coming into this long road trip, their longest of the season. And uh, they're 3-1 and one on this trip, so they're checking a lot of boxes about areas they wanted to address. They're a very good home team, Haley, but they needed to get more points on the road and show that they could bring their game out onto the road. And so far, they've done it, and uh, they'll get another test tomorrow here in Calgary. The Vasilevsky poke check on McDavid. I know they lost the game, but that was one of the moments that I really kind of circled in my notebook as I was watching last night is just like, wow, this is a fun game. And sometimes we think of the one-on-one situations and, and moves from a defender to play McDavid, uh, but Vasilevsky coming out and, and making the aggressive poke check on on Connor was was pretty great to watch. Yeah, and if you notice, that was a great save. And, you know, I, I'm fortunate to watch Vasilevsky night in, night out, and he's, he's spectacular. He's, he's the best of his generation for sure, and he's, gonna, he's on his way to build. He's well into building a Hall of Fame-worthy career. But last night, that was a great moment where McDavid kind of out-wrestled Victor Hedman for the pocket, poked in ahead and skated into it and had a breakaway from the blue line in. And Vasilevsky uh, got the better of him on that one. But in the third period, McDavid, being McDavid, learned from that moment and didn't uh, get caught with a Vasilevsky poke check on what turned out to be the game-winning goal. And it somehow squeezed it in, as only number 97 can do. So it was <laughs> kind of, a, you know, he, he learned from that moment and made him pay in the third uh, for the fourth three goal. But it, it was a good game. And uh, it would, that would be a great series if it ever happened to be a Stanley Cup final. But uh, we're a long way from that. Oh, man. Yeah, I guess we're, we're going to have to wait and see how a couple things go next several weeks here. But uh, Dave, you had the call earlier this week for Steven Stamkos' 500th career goal. That was on Wednesday night. I mean, the team left the bench to celebrate him in the corner. He becomes one of just 18 players uh, in the NHL to score 500 goals, 1,000 points in fewer than 1,000 games. I mean, from your perspective up in the booth, from your perspective, watching this team, calling this team, being around them for as long as you currently have been, like, what can you say about Steven Stamkos in that moment? Well, first of all, you found out my favorite stat about this whole thing. There's a lot of great stats about the 500 goal club, but the one that you gave is my favorite. 19 players who have scored 500 goals in fewer than 1,000 games. And if you look at the 19 guys, it is an absolute who's who of goal, goal scorers in the history of the league. And, and Steven Stamkos is now in a very, I mean, the 500 goal clubs already an elite club, 
but this is even that's even less than half of that. So it's it's a super elite list. Um, what does that tell me about Stephen? Well, Stephen Stamkos, uh, you know, this is my third season being around the team. He is a consummate pro and leader and a true captain on and off the ice. Uh, people say, you know, what. W- w- what impresses you about him? And, and to me, it's the way he goes about his business uh, on the ice, off the ice, with his coaches, with his teammates, with the, with the media, with the fan base in and around the Tampa Bay area. Uh, he's a, a true pro and carries himself with a real class. And he's not done. He, he, he takes care of himself. He's healthy. Uh, everybody knows that he broke his leg several years ago and missed considerable time. And then, of course, when the Lightning won their first cup in the bubble in Edmonton, he can only play like a few shifts in the Stanley Cup final against Dallas, scored a goal, too, uh, that was, uh, that'll go down in hockey history. So he's missed a lot of time, and he's battled a lot of injuries. But he's healthy now. He's skating free right there. He had 100 points last season, Haley, for the first time in his career, and 42 goals, I think it was. And he could, he, he could hit 100 again, which is crazy to think that he could have back-to-back 100-point seasons at this stage of his career at 32 years of age. But he's picking up a lot of points along with all the goals. But he is going to go down as one of the game's all-time great goal scorers. I got asked the other day, can he get to, uh, you know, 600? I said, why not? He's already at 503. I mean, 500 is old dudes. <laughs> uh, he is he's driven right. to continue to keep on going. He, uh, he, he loves the game. He loves the team he plays for. And he's a big part of the success of why they've been so good uh, for 10 years. He sets the theater. He and Victor Hedman, uh, in my mind, set the standard day in, day out for that team, and everybody falls in line. And, and uh, that's why the Lightning are the, the, the Lightning. They are, they're, they're really a, a, uh, an impressive team and will go down as one of the great teams ever. Well, let's get into Victor Hedman a little bit here, Dave. He didn't have a great start relative to the standard that he has set for himself. I mean, you know, not a ton of production. Maybe there's a little bit missing Jan Ruda beside him. But that's, you know, that was two months ago, and now he <laughs> looks like Victor Hedman again. How have you seen his game kind of progress after that slow start? That's a pretty astute observation by you there, Haley. Uh, not many people would trot out Jan Ruda. I, I, uh, I, I would <laughs> disagree, maybe, honestly, because that was a guy that everybody, you know, really didn't. When you t- named off 10 members of the Tampa Bay Lightning, you know, just about any even knowledgeable hockey fan wouldn't mention Jan Ruda, but he played a lot with Victor Hedman, and uh, he didn't play with Sergei David, didn't play with McDonough, didn't play with Chernak. He played with Ruda, and he was a comfort zone for him because Ruda was the steady Eddie and allowed Victor Hedman to be Victor Hedman and, and wander all over the ice and, and do his thing and score 20 goals and 85 points last season, both career highs in his 13th season. So, yes, the points weren't coming and the goals really still aren't coming at this stage, but he's, he's piling up a ton of points. He's got 13 in the last 12 games, and he's playing very well for my money. He's still Victor Hedman. I would say, you know, maybe the, the maybe the Ruder thing has a little bit to do with it, but more than anything, I would say this is a, a group as a whole that has played 71 playoff games over the last three playoff seasons, and that's less than three years. That's not three years because if you it's less than that because the whole bubble covid restart everything like that it's more like two and a half years so they've played almost a full season more than any other team in a compressed period of time and it's actually the most playoff games in a three-year cycle in in nhl history 
So there was some physical fatigue, but more importantly, there was some mental fatigue entering the season. I asked everybody, you know, what's going to be more of a factor, the physical or the mental side? And they all said the mental fatigue, you know, starting the season uh, and and looking at that big climb back up the hill. So maybe, perhaps, I haven't spoken to Victor specifically about this one in a lot for his first 20 games, but maybe that was a factor, uh, but he's certainly got it going now. He's back up around 24, 25 minutes a night, and, and you'll see him tomorrow. He, he looks like Victor Hedman now. Yes, the goals aren't quite there uh, as much as they were last year with his 20 goals, but uh, uh, don't don't put him, put him past him to get 10 more at least this season. Well, Jan Ruda was uh, on my free agent board when I was still, you know, writing on the Flames full time. He was a guy that I circled before the the Uyghur Huberto deal saying like, this is a guy that would look pretty good in Calgary. Everyone loves the the Mm -hmm. steady defenseman, uh, especially when you got some offensive pieces in Calgary. But of course, we know Ruda is in Pittsburgh. Uh, Tampa Bay Lightning, they have the fifth best point percentage in the league right now, playing really well. And you mentioned some of the mental fatigue. So I kind of want to dive into that a little bit more. I mean, how is this team, despite losing players in the offseason and despite the amount of games that they play in the postseason, in the regular season, you know, when you kind of put everything together in the last couple years of all their success, they've played so much hockey, but they keep turning in good regular seasons and good playoff performances. Like how have the Tampa Bay Lightning been able to keep doing this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It is impressive when you think about it. And when you look back at the third consecutive Stanley Cup final appearance last year, uh, you know, everybody probably would agree, including begrudgingly a lot of the members of Lightning, that Colorado was a good team and they were the better team in that series. They had a great season and, and hats off to them. But people forget in that six game final, four of those games were one goal games. Two of them went to overtime. The Lightning did not have Braden Point, the Calgary native. And, you know, he was a half speed for just a couple of games. And Anthony Sorelli was, was banged up. And they almost did it again. I mean, they were right there in game six at home to maybe force a game seven, and then all bets are off. So you add it all up, and, and to answer your question, there's a couple of things. First of all, they still have an extraordinary core. Ryan McDonough was a big, big piece to this uh, puzzle, as was Andre Pallott. Pallott was a, uh, you know, a lifetime Bolt. He was a seventh-round pick in his second year of eligibility in the draft and went on to be one of their best playoff performers that they've ever had. And he was a guy that played on the top line with Kucherov and points and, and was just so dependable and was also a big piece. So they lose those guys. And they bring in two other pieces, Brandon Hagel at the trade deadline last year and Nick Paul. They have both fit in beautifully this year. There was an adjustment period for Hagel last year. Paul's been great almost from his first game as a Lightning, and both are having great seasons. And and part of that whole thing is, is that the players now have this immense amount of trust in the organization. You know how sometimes new players come in? Well, look at Calgary. I mean, they brought in a whole bunch of new guys, and mm-hmm. no offense to, to Weger and, and Huberto, two excellent players, but there's an adjustment period, and, and sometimes it doesn't always go smoothly. Well, there's a, there's a real trust with this organization in what Julian Breesbaugh and his management staff does when they bring in guys. They know they've got something special. They know they've got culture and character in the room. And then when somebody walks in there, they the players all know, all right, well, this guy's been fully vetted by our, our very good general manager. Therefore, you're in. And they, they immediately embrace this guy and make him feel at home. That's what resonates with me when new guys come in. They just say, we walk in, and there's Steven Stamkos and Hedman and Kucherov and Point all 
making us a part of it right away instead of worrying how we're going to fit. So there's that. And then there's the core. And then there's the greatest goalie in the NHL right now. I mean, Andre Vasilevsky erases a lot of mistakes. And there's a recognition, Haley, just to wrap this whole thing up, that they know that the window is still open and that, yes, they would have loved to do a three-peat and, and, and really solidify themselves as a dynasty, but three and four wouldn't be bad either. And they know they can do it and they aren't going to waste this opportunity. So they are pushing themselves collectively to, to make sure their game is ready when the, when the important games come. This is such a fun team to follow at the trade deadline because, yeah, the – cap is flat and most teams don't have a lot of space but we've seen the Tampa Bay Lightning and GM Julian Brisebois make these really you know unique and sometimes moves at first when you're like what what just happened here and then you know two weeks later everyone's going oh my gosh that looks so smart we saw it a couple years ago with Blake Coleman and Barkley Goudreau Uh, last year it's Nick Paul and Brandon Hagel you're like this season I'm just waiting to see Uh, what he does, but what I really appreciate this time of year and what I appreciate from Julian Brisebois is he doesn't waste or, you know, he appreciates the gift. Like he knows the core that he has and the opportunity that they have. And this isn't a general manager who's saying, oh, well, you know, I kind of want to make sure we have, you know, a draft pick in 2025 or we have a first round, we have a second round, it doesn't matter. We have Steven Stamkos and Nikita Kucherov and one of the best goalies in the world. I don't care about my draft picks. We're going to keep trying to win with this core and we keep seeing him pull off these moves. Is there something like, what can we reasonably expect from this team at the deadline, given what we know from Breezeball in the past and that, as you said, they believe that they can make it three and four. Yeah. Um, I, I, first of all, I wouldn't say that he doesn't necessarily doesn't care about his draft picks. <laughs> he, he I'm sure. Yes. I'm sure he does, it. but <laughs> yeah, I, and I'm only kind of joking, but, but yes, there, I mean, the reality is they do not have very many first round picks over the next several years uh, because of uh, the decisions that you just outlined. And you're right. It's a problem for 2025. <laughs> exactly. He's made it a priority to go with this, this core and this this period of, of extraordinary uh, results and, and 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 having a great team right now. Um, what do I expect? I expect a move to be made. How? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how these guys uh, pull it off, but um, I do expect them to address uh, depth both in the forward position and, and perhaps along the blue line as well. They added Ian Cole, and Ian Cole's been very good. He's been amongst the team leaders in plus minus all season long. He's chipped in with some points. He's been he's a veteran. He's a two time Stanley Cup champion. He's been he's been good. One thing that really impresses me, just observing how this all comes together and how it has come together in the past uh, you know three or four years, and with the two cups, is I'm always fascinated with the pro scouting side of things. And I'm sure there's a lot of staffs that have great pro scouts, uh, and I'm certainly the Lightning do as well. Headed by Jamie Pusher, their assistant GM, and that's his department. And all his pro scouts, they just had their their scouting meetings. All the teams did, and I'm just fascinated at how that process works because these guys watch game in, game out across the NHL, and they compile this this detailed database. So when Breezebaugh calls them all together on a conference call or a Zoom call, says, "Okay, I need a player." That is, does this, this, and this precisely. And then they go to their list. Now I need your top five guys. And then we'll see, you know, what we can do about it. Because if you look at how the guys most recently that they brought in, Hagel is now fitting like a glove on a top line with Braden Point and Nikita Kucherov. Not an easy thing to do. People forget 
He was a sixth-round pick by the Buffalo Sabres that the Sabres didn't even want. They just let him go. And here he is right. playing on the arguably one of the best lines in the world. Nick Paul, a guy who had not yet blossomed in Ottawa. Well, he's blossoming now. You mentioned uh, Blake Coleman. That line of Blake Coleman, Barclay Goodrow, and Yanni Gord, I firmly believe they do not win back-to-back Stanley Cups without those three specific guys gelling the way they did. Their fingerprints are all over those two cups uh, in key moments. I saw all the games firsthand. The key moments, shot blocks, they started every period, certainly the second uh, cup run. Uh, they were fabulous. So it just, it's, it's a fascinating process to watch, and that is a real strength of the lighting and how their pro scouts drill down on who's available and then let Breezeball work and Matthew Darch work their magic to acquire them. Yep, a fascinating team. There's so much to dig into. I feel like if you just look at the checklist of, of what the organization needs to kind of run smoothly, and I think Tampa Bay hits a lot of them, whether it's the amateur scouting at the draft or their pro scouting with this kind of stuff, figuring out the cap, et cetera, et cetera. They hit it. It's going to be a big test for the Calgary Flames on Saturday afternoon at the Dome. Thanks a lot, Dave. Enjoy the game. I will, and thank you very much for having me on. It's my pleasure. Anytime. There goes Dave Randorf. He is the play-by-play voice for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Once again, the Flames will be playing against the Tampa Bay Lightning on Saturday afternoon at the Dome. Huge test for Calgary. Uh, we, they, they had that measuring stick game against the Colorado Avalanche that did not go well. So now they got another one against a team that is playing far better hockey right now. Again, fifth point, fifth in the league in points percentage this season that's the tampa bay lightning and that conversation with dave randorf was brought to you by the atlas pizza guest hotline uh using the same secret recipe since 1975 at atlas pizza and sports bar dine in at 6060 memorial drive northeast take out our delivery at 403-248-3344 we're gonna head to break and coming up next we're gonna have our weekly chat with sean gentilly he's a senior national writer at the athletic maybe get a bit more into uh, the Vancouver Canucks. I want to talk about Max Pacioretty. He has a, a non-contact injury. 20 seconds left in the Hurricanes game. He's back on injured reserve. Ryan Miller had his jersey retired last night in Buffalo. Rasmus Dahlin getting a bit lost in the shuffle with all the Eric Carlson talk this year. Lots to get into coming up next on Hockey Central and Sports at 960 The Fan. You're listening to Hockey Central 960 with Haley Salvian on your home of the Flames, Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Welcome back to the program. We're going to go right back to the Atlas Pizza guest hotline because this is one of my favorite guests to bring on the show because I can just kind of throw all my random notes at him and he'll probably say something. Will it be (laughs) smart all the time? I don't know. Defense on the day. What an intro, Sean. What's up? It's Sean Gentilly. I didn't even say her name from the Athletic Senior National Writer. He's very smart. That was a mean joke. Welcome to the program. Are you, are you still there? Did you hang up? Yeah, yeah, I'm here. It's always good to be uh, welcomed onto a radio show with uh, maybe the most backhanded compliment I've ever gotten in my life. So thank you. I'm sorry. That was a joke, and then I realized. Right after I mm. said it, that was probably mean. Was it? Was it? Was it, it was a, a joke? joke? It's always smart. I mean, I'm not gonna. No, we're not gonna pull the listeners. It's always very smart. 
Uh, mm -hmm. But no, the, the reason I like having you on on days like this, where there's so much stuff that happened yesterday night, so much stuff that even happened the night before. And I know that we can just kind of go around and hit all these topics and have a good chat. Uh, I want to start first in Carolina last night. Max Pacioretty is back on the IR after a non-contact injury at the end of the Canes game against Minnesota. He went down with about 20 seconds left in the game. Uh, he made a pass beside the net, took a stride or two, went down. It was very um, like if you're watching a basketball game and a player goes down, it was, it was very Kevin Durant when he had his Achilles injury. Not that I want to speculate on what the injury is. Rod Brindamore said it doesn't. I'm not going to speculate or anything, but that's what it looks like to me. Uh, Rod Brindamore said it doesn't look good after the game. He doesn't feel very optimistic. I mean, Sean, we got a glimpse of why Max Pacioretty was the player that the Canes needed, right? Like they needed a guy who could put the puck in the back of the net. That was an issue last year in the postseason. Um, I know we've talked on this show before and the podcast that we host at The Athletic where I'm not as mean to you uh, about he was the injection they needed and we were excited to see what he could do when he returned to the lineup and, and now he's back on IR and, and things don't look great. Do you have a thought on, on Max Pacioretty and maybe what comes next for the Carolina Hurricanes? This is definitely testing like my personal preference to not speculate over injuries because yeah. oh, I think we know what happened. Like oh, no. you, you can have an ed you, you have an educated guess based on what we've seen from Achilles injuries before and the fact that Pacioretty just came back from one right. Like I, I don't think those are irresponsible uh, dots to connect. So if it looks like what everybody thought it was, then he's done for the season, you know, and ho hopefully not longer than that. And all of a sudden, Carolina gets cap space, right, which is wild. The way they talked about Pacioretty really throughout the rehab process and over the summer, God, I know I know. Rod Brendamore said it to us when, we, when you and I talked to him on, on our show uh, at the start of the season. This whole time they were looking at Pacioretty like, their trade deadline acquisition, right? Like they knew that the reinforcement was coming and they were excited about what he's bringing to the lineup. Blah, 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 right? Um, and now they actually probably have to go make a trade deadline acquisition because it seems really good. They're really good across the board, any way you want to measure it, points percentage or expected goals or actual goals or whatever. Any way you slice it, this is one of the few best teams in hockey at this point. And they're designed as such. This was maybe not a must-win year for them because I don't think they think in those terms necessarily. But they loaded up, and they behaved in a way that they don't typically behave. You don't typically see the Carolina Hurricanes trading for Max Pacioretty and Brent Burns in a single offseason, for example. And we know they were in on, 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 on some other big moves too. So I don't know. They have this cap space. We know Tom Dundon has money. We know that that team has the desire to, you know, make some hay while they can with a with a pretty strong roster. I think, you know, bad as this is for Max Pacioretty and bad as it is for the Hurricanes, it makes the deadline a lot more interesting because a buyer just got a lot of money in the form of long-term injury reserve, you know, whenever Pacioretty hits there, assuming he does. Right, and, and I don't believe there's been an update yet from Rod Brindamore. I think the last quote that I was able to find – from him was again after the game where he said, hopefully it's not as bad as you think it is, but I am not too optimistic 
right now. I, I know that yeah, this is I a mean, team I mean, that I, I know this is a team that maybe diverged off the course we're used to seeing in terms of bringing in Patretti and bringing in Brent Birds in the offseason. But this also isn't a Carolina Hurricanes team that is known for going out and grabbing big ticket rental players on the market. I, I believe I've heard people saying, you know, maybe they could be in on a Bo Horvat or, or what kind of players could the Canes be in on at the trade deadline, you know, and this was even before Max Patriotti went down, especially. So now, I mean, the last year, their, their big deal was getting Max Domi in a three-way trade that cost them what I think a young player and a six round pick. So I just wonder if we need to temper expectations on what they could do next or are we going to see another you know reversal of course for an organization that doesn't typically do this or maybe we're going to see the canes maybe have something in the drawer in the pocket to offer somebody long term but i also don't know if they would have the flexibility for that assuming patch ready comes back so just another thing to yeah keep i mean track that, of, i guess that's where the i mean that's that's the that's the fun if, if you're trying to track this stuff right like of course we know we we have a good idea of how the Carolina Hurricanes are run historically. We know the kind of players they like. We know the way they conduct business. We know that they have internal valuations that they place on on their guys and others that dictates you know how they spend their money. Like that's that's true. It's been true for years. But I just keep going back to the way they behaved in the off season, and it deviated from what we've become accustomed to seeing you know from them over the last however many years. Like. Does, is that going to carry over into, you know, in, into their deadline approach now? How much is Patriotti affected? I don't know, but it's it's going to be interesting because they were, again, one of the most interesting teams in the, in the off season. I think I think they they know that they have an opportunity here, and it's tough to imagine, you know, them uh, them not trying trying to make use of something. How about how about like let's 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 put it that way. I don't think whenever March comes around that we're going to see uh, the the Carolina Hurricanes with you know, six million or seven million or eight million dollars in cap space. I'd be surprised if that were the case. Right. Yeah. Of course. And, and Max Pacioretty, I think he's. This is the last year of his deal. He's a UFA for for twenty twenty three twenty four, and he makes seven million dollars. So I guess we'll just wait for the update on on his health and where he's at. He's on IR right now. So that's what ten days, ten games, seven days, seven days. Wow, I just mix that up. I'm the one who's this is <laughs> this is I karma mean, for my like intro. <laughs> like, let's, uh, huh? Exactly. Not 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 very not very Seven, uh, smart of you as one, as, two, as three, about four. me, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. That's my bad. Let's move on to Matt Dumba. He was a healthy scratch for the Minnesota Wild last night. Obviously, a ton of trade speculation has come with that news, given Dumba is a regular name in the trade rumor mill. Uh, I mean, how many mock deals over the years has, has this guy been in, if, if we're being honest? Like, I've kind of stopped wading into the, oh, what is Matt Dumba going to get traded this year and this summer or this trade deadline? It has not happened yet, um, but he was a healthy scratch against the Carolina Hurricanes last night, uh, head coach. Dean Evison said it was a hockey decision and alluded to Dumba's play as of late. He had a particularly tough game earlier in the week against the Washington Capitals with some pretty big turnovers. Yeah, he had a he had an assist. I think he had a primary assist on one of the Wilds goals, but a couple of huge turnovers against the Caps. I think we can take Evison's word that this was a hockey decision but also start to look ahead and think are Matt Dumba's days in Minnesota nearing an end 
especially when you look at you, Sorry. especially when you look <laughs> yeah I, I i heard that way to go i mean this is the i feel like there's always something cooking with the minnesota wild right like it's a team that that once there's a few they, they lose a few games i feel like the real mill starts up they're obviously quick to make moves we saw what they did with with ryan reeves a, a couple months ago but it's also a team that's you know in the capped out club whether it's this it's this year it's and it's it's moving forward, even even though Dumba's contract is finally mercifully over, and we can we can put a rest <laughs> one way or another to to all the trade rumors that have uh, surrounded him over the years, which is nice. But yeah, I it, it is it's it's an it's an interesting it's an interesting thought because that team is winning games. They're a playoff team, but something's just off with the mix there, particularly at forward, right and. You know, they don't have a ton of space and they don't have all that many assets that that you'll want to trade. Does Matt Dumba turn into that? Like, is is, is, is it possible to move him out to, to create space and, and then maybe, you know, go get you know, some reinforcement for that for that middle six? I don't know, but it's but it's interesting. This is, this is just a time of year we're in, right, where as soon as a guy gets benched or as soon as a guy gets ready to come off injured reserve or, or, or whatever – our eyes kind of immediately turn towards cap friendly or whatever else. And we start doing the math and trying to figure out what it means for the, for the trade boards and the, and, and the deadline projections and all that. And, and Dumba's Dumba's certainly, you know, falls under that category. I think what's interesting about this, and I heard uh, or saw an interview from the, the GM in Minnesota, Bill Guerin, obviously you're, you're a Pittsburgh guy. So you're familiar with Bill Guerin. Uh, some of my favorite photos are Bill Guerin eating ice cream. The chair, the chair that Bill, the chair that Bill Guerin went on after winning the 2009 uh, Stanley Cup throughout various restaurants and bars. Legendary, legendary. Oh, uh, incredible stuff. If you're having a, you know, a sad day, you just want the week to be over, having a tough day at work, just Google Bill Guerin ice cream Sunday and you will feel better. I guarantee it. Uh, I saw you'll Bill Guerin in the press box, you know, and I was just like, you'll oh my God, better. it's the guy from the ice cream picture. <laughs> you'll feel better, but you won't feel as good as Bill Guerin did when he was eating no. on ice cream Sunday. No, but I, anyways, I heard, you know, he, he essentially said it in an interview that he's kind of prepared to see guys walk out the door this offseason. So we're looking at those guys that are pending UFA status because they're in a spot where they're winning hockey games and they're a playoff team right now. They want to win a Stanley Cup. So they're not just going to dump guys who are pending on restricted free agents to get a draft pick just so they can say that they didn't lose the guy for nothing. And I think Matt Dumba's in that camp. So I feel like we're in a situation where, you know, a, a deal that would include Matt Dumba right now or before the the early March trade deadline would be something where they move him out to get the asset that just opens up the cap space that allows yep. them to make a different move, right? Like we're not just going to yep. see a Matt Dumba trade and that's it, unless you're getting a piece that's going to upgrade the Minnesota wild, right? Like they're not doing something that's going to make them worse, regardless of how you feel of Matt Dumba and the way that he plays or, or where his game is at. They're not just going to move him out just because <laughs> like Matt, Bill Guerin's yeah, not going to do that. Right. Matt Dumba himself is not going to bring back, you know, the, the asset that turns their forward group into, you know, one of the few best in, in the Western conference, right? Like that's not, that's not the way it's going to work. He's moving him would be the first leg of, 
of a way to of a way to strengthen that group. And again, as far as they're concerned, you know, we're we're talking about the future. We're talking about you know who's a USA and who's not. You know, their cap situation is more complicated than most. Even though there's 12, 15, 20, 32 teams in cap hell right now in, in one way or another. Minnesota's situation is even tougher because they're they have the they have the Parisian suitor uh, buyouts to concern themselves with, right? And uh, the the dead the, the, the dead cap charges. So yeah, yeah, not a good not a good deal, and uh, and and it's complicated. And but it, you also, if if you're Bill Guerin, you have to recognize you know you have Kirill Kaprizov, you have a talented group of players that's capable of winning of winning playoff rounds. So balancing that is is going to be interesting. We've got a little bit of time left here with you, Sean, and we're talking to Sean Gentilly, senior national writer at The Athletic on the Atlas Pizza guest hotline. I uh, wanted to get to the Buffalo Sabres. Ryan Miller had his number 30 jersey retired last night in Buffalo. The banner was raised. He's in the Sabres Hall of Fame. He was also given a Sabre <laughs> as part of the <laughs> ceremony. He's got his like wife, his baby, and a giant sword watching his, his number go up to the rafters. It was pretty awesome. I feel like we see the little silver mini sticks all the time, which I believe was started by Milan Lucic's wife, Brittany, when he got the 1,000-game ceremony. That's I'll true. give her a shout-out huh. for that. I, she was, that was the first time that I saw the mini sticks given out to the kids as well as the stick to the 1,000th. Uh, game that was the first time I saw it was with the the Lucic family and now we see that quite a bit so I feel like it was Brittany Lucic I don't know maybe something to dive into another day don't quote me on that if I'm wrong but I wanted to say Ryan Miller gets sword when I say the name Ryan Miller to you you're an American you've watched him that silver medal I just got it was silver medal performance in 2010 but still incredible um you know one of the all-time greats what do you think of when you when you hear the name Ryan Miller yeah, I think of that 2010 U.S. team that he dragged, I think it's fair to say, to a silver medal. And I think of how close he came, you know, towards turning in one of the truly like an all-time hockey, you know, Hall of Fame S-tier plated in gold performance in that in that championship game. And it got, it got ruined for him, of course, by, by, by Sidney Crosby and Jerome McGinley. Uh do he not close, say anything bad about Jerome McGinley on Sports at 960. The fan. I would. I wouldn't drive. I'd have look. I'd. I'd. But a Sports Illustrated for Kids poster of Jerome McGinley hanging up in my in my bedroom when I was a kid. I'm not saying. I'm not saying a bad word about him. He's okay. the greatest. But okay, but all that being <laughs> all that being said, he tagged him to, you know, ruin what would have been truly one of the one of the remarkable runs I think in in the sport. So now we remember Ryan Miller and he, you know, as a, you know, kind of an almost, almost had it guy, but man, he was, he was great. He was great in 2010, opened the door for, you know, a pretty nice, he was, he's, he's viewed honestly now as like the godfather of American goaltending. I, I think a lot of, a lot of American goaltenders treat him that way. He's done work with the, with the national team, you know, since he retired. So, you know, and if I, that's to say nothing of, <laughs> of the work he did with the Sabres over the years. It's a really, really great player, you know, staple of the national team. And, you know, I, it's, uh, he's, he laid, he laid some groundwork for, you know, I'm saying this as a completely partisan American hockey fan. I, I hope he laid some groundwork for, for greatness to come because he was, he was the guy for, for, for several years. 
I've had this conversation on this show before when you look at if there was going to be, let's just say there's a 2023 World Cup of Hockey or a Canada-U.S. series. If you're just looking at the situation in the crease, the U.S. would have Canada beat, I think, nine times out of ten. Hellebuck and Ottinger, yeah. whoever it may be. And who's the starter for Canada? Carter Hart? Mm-hmm. And, and mm-hmm. Ryan, Miller, Ryan Miller was doing all that work. Uh, whenever there wasn't a Jack Eichel or a or a Jack Hughes or a Tage Thompson or all like you know all these breakout you know centers that have emerged on the American side over the last however many years like that's not the group that Ryan Miller was playing with right so you know mm-hmm. I, I look at I, I look at stuff like that I think about what a best on best tournament would look like now or in or, or in a couple years and yeah I, I I do think man what would if you would have taken half of this forward talent and put it on that 2010 team with the way Miller was playing, like the outcome would have been different. Mm, you know, so it goes. <laughs> uh, we got a note in the text line here. I'm wondering if this is an athletic hockey show Friday listener, listener because they said, I can't believe how often you bring up the Bill Guerin ice cream. Uh, it makes me happy. Yeah, I don't we, know did, what to say. We, then, we did. We <laughs> did. We did. We did forty-five solid minutes on Bill Guerin eating ice cream on on our on our podcast. Yeah. Whatever. Uh, he also said, "I think of Milan Lucic when I think of Ryan Miller." We don't have time to get into that, so we're just thank you for for letting for chatting with us on the text line. That was a that was a tough one for for Ryan Miller. You can Google that highlight if you don't know what we're talking about. Very quickly, I have sixty seconds left before I got to get out of here. I got a couple extra minutes because Logan Gordon and Sportsnet today went long today. The Sabres Ooh. game last night was great. Like the the sword, the actual Saber and Ryan Miller aside, Rasmus Dahlin makes the incredible Hail Mary pass to, Dil- to Cousins oh, who get in her 12 seconds OT. The, the rapid fire question, Sean, what was better? The Hail Mary pass from Dahlin or the midair corral the puck from Cousins in the finish for the OT winner against the Islanders? God bless Dylan Cousins, man. He's he's been a good player for a long time. But it's the pass. It's the pass from Darlene. He needs a couple more of those. He has been lost in the shuffle because he plays on a team with Tage Thompson and he plays the same position as Eric Carlson. But that man has 50 points in 43 games playing defense in, in the National Hockey League. Show some respect to Rasmus Darlene. I'm giving it to him. <laughs> okay, great stuff, Sean. Uh, it's always a great chat. I'm sorry for the intro. Thank you for the yeah, time. Yeah, fine, whatever. Bye. <laughs> there, there goes Sean Gentilly. Uh, that's the last time you'll probably ever come on the show. I was just riffing and it went poorly. I apologize to him. But that's always a great chat with Sean. Uh, that conversation was brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar using the same secret recipe since 1975. You can dine in at 6060 Memorial Drive Northeast. For takeout or delivery, call 403-248-3344. That's all the time we have for Hockey Central on Sportsnet 960. This week, I'll be back on Tuesday uh, through Friday next week here on Sportsnet 960 The Fan, your home of the Flames.